Taguzzi said, Reggio Emilia's valuable and continuing history confirms that a new educational experience can emerge from the least expected circumstances. My name is Sandy Lanes. Stay tuned as my guest Beth McDonald shares the journey of McDonald Montessori School in St. Paul, Minnesota, as it has worked to weave together the philosophies of both the Montessori and the Reggio approaches. She describes the rewards and struggles of transforming a school as she takes us through her process of becoming awakened to Reggio. Beth McDonald has been the executive director of McDonald Montessori School in Minnesota. Since 1994, Beth has collaborated with Amelia Gambetti with the intention of creating a dialogue between the Montessori and Reggio Emilia philosophies. Beth has attended 12 study weeks in Reggio Emilia and has presented in Reggio-inspired conferences throughout the United States and abroad. She was a founding board member of NARIA and has been a member of the Reggio International Network of 35 countries. I'm so intrigued by the unique aspects of your journey and the journey of your school, Beth. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, glad to be here. Let's just jump right in. Please tell us about your journey with, with the Reggio approach. I started hearing about the Reggio schools in 1989 and I attended a conference in Hawaii. And as I told my accountant, I said, I just, I need to go to this conference. I don't know what it's about, but it's in Hawaii and <laughs> I need to be there. Good place to go for a conference. Yeah. <laughs> they had a conference and they were talking about, she, she presented about her experiences with the Reggio schools and I was immediately intrigued. So we started watching for workshops in which our educators would be from Reggio. And we heard about a conference in Washington, D.C. at the Model Early Learning Center. And it featured Carla Rinaldi and Amelia Gambetti, Vea Vecchi, Howard Gardner. So we went and that was the first time that I met the educators. I can remember Patty is a, a good friend and now she's retired, but she worked at the school for 25 years. We just, as we watched these images from Reggio and the projects that the children were involved in, we just sat and cried because they were so beautiful. We were really touched at a really deep level. We toured the, the Model Early Learning Center, met Jen Azariti, met, you know, talked to Amelia. And we just basically said, can you come to our school? And she, and she came to our school in 1994. And that's how it began. So when you began your school, really, you, you began it as a Montessori school. And am I, am I correct? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Third, so we're in our 37th year. Wow. Amazing. So <laughs> why, how about tell us a little bit about your school, its identity, how the identity impacts the day-to-day -day life of the school. What would it look like if we were there? I mean, basically, um, I had taught elementary school. And then when we were having our own three children, I did home daycare. And it was a kind of, a, I had high school and my mother worked there. And, you know, was, Emily, I think I had 12, 16 children. So I had different experiences, but I didn't come to the Montessori philosophy till I was 43. So I taught in 
traditional education, when I closed my home daycare, because I thought I'm going to be in my basement here forever, unless I could, maybe I could go re-embrace the world. So I went to work for the previous director at our school, and then immediately took the Montessori training, which I really liked a lot, except I always felt there was a piece missing. The creative side of music, art, drama, were not as a part of the Montessori philosophy. It was, it was heavily in, in terms of the cognitive thinking of children. There's a sense of calm when children are involved in their own creative adventures. She wanted to retire and just do Montessori teacher training. And she talked me into buying the school, which was a huge venture. I mean, it was a huge leap for me. So we're in a we're in a former um, Catholic school in St. Paul, three stories. I basically kind of fell into this with a huge amount of fear. We've had Montessori teachers who tour our school. There was just a lot of mobiles and a lot of artwork and children were moving around, talking. And some of them were more traditional Montessori and they really, you know, they're like, well, you're not really a Montessori school. So I think I'm more of an eclectic person. So for the first 10 years, or from 86 to 94, uh, we were a pretty traditional Montessori school in our, in, in our interpretation of it. And then we started hearing about the Reggio schools, which to me was the other piece that was missing from Montessori. When I went to my first study tour in 1996, I came back and we told Amelia when she came that fall that because we thought this is not compatible. I'm sorry, but so I said, but we have a solution. And she ne she just looked at us. We were sitting at a coffee shop and, and I said, so we, we came up with a solution. We're going to have Montessori in the morning and Reggio in the afternoon. <laughs> and she, she was horrified, of course. And she said, no, you have one program. And Reggio children is really interested in watching to see, you know, what a Montessori, how a Montessori school interacts and integrates and moves with this philosophy. That really is exactly what I've been wondering about myself <laughs> for years. So many people say to me, when they hear Reggio Emilia, they say, oh, is that like Montessori? Over the years, I've read some of the articles that you've written about this. And I know more and more Montessori schools are kind of making this transition. You've written about this idea of a Reggio Emilia energy and a Montessori energy. And that was really intriguing to me. Could you talk about that and these two approaches and how they can become interwoven? What does that look like? We, you know, we gradually realize that there's a richness in both philosophies. It doesn't have to be either or or segmented. And then we started playing the game of what are the things that are inherent in Montessori and what are the things that are inherent in, in Reggio? And then to kind of put that, make, we had lists literally. So that, you know, Montessori is more individual. Reggio is more group-centered. Montessori is more linear. Reggio is more spiral. There's many different ones in terms of 
Montessori being more structured, Reggio is more unstructured. But one of the things is we felt, you know, and this has been, you know, it's kind of controversial in terms of people's interpretation of gender, but we felt that the Montessori philosophy was more rational, logical, masculine in sense, and that and Reggio was much more free-flowing, feminine, uh, more of an energy. And I remember talking about this in Sergio Spajari, who was the, uh, a key educator at the time in Reggio and is now retired, but he came up to me afterwards. I think he even stood up, which was interesting. And he said, don't you think it's interesting that, um, I said, I agree with your evaluation of the masculine and feminine, but isn't it interesting that Montessori, a woman, had a more, the philosophy has a more masculine energy. And uh, Loris Malaguzzi, a man, had, a, you know, developed a more feminine, free-flowing energy. So I think it's not so much gender as it is these two um, kind of energies. So I, that just turned the whole thing on its ear again for us. We thought, okay, just picks, you know, where do we begin with this? So we started with a physical environment because we thought, okay, role of the teacher, documentation, how we work with children, research projects, following children's thinking. We thought, okay, this is, I mean, we literally had the feeling that we were walking into blankness. And we've asked Amelia for a manual for years. She has not given us a manual. She has no intention. And I mean, we've read all kinds of books, but she just wants us to figure this out ourselves. We started with the physical because we thought these other things are way too difficult. I mean, they're the, we knew that they were the crux and the heart of the philosophy, but we thought, okay, we're coming from a Montessori approach from a very traditional approach in terms of education. We've always felt we've had a warm, loving, wonderful place for children. So we were very proud of what we were doing. We didn't feel we, there was something inherently wrong Parents loved us. The, I mean, the children were happy, but we just felt that this was offering a much deeper level of being with children and with parents and also with co-teachers. In the Montessori approach, there are specific materials that every classroom typically has. And, and then within the Reggio approach, I'm wondering, what, what was it that you brought in that played with this duality of environments. I have like slides of our beginning attempts, which were are really horrifying, but uh, <laughs> because they just were like, oh, okay, this is, you know, and if we want to entertain our current staff or even new staff that we've hired, we show them this and they laugh. I think we thought, okay, if we get light tables, let's just get light tables, then we can call ourselves a regional school. And I'm sure you've heard that before. And That's what know, we all thought it meant. Right? <laughs> right? Yes. We, we started by taking all of our decoration down. That was the first, one of the first things we did. Jen Azariti encouraged us to live with the bare walls. And in Montessori classrooms, their walls are, are pretty bare in the traditional programs. But ours were filled with artwork and decorations and 
borders and bulletin board paper and whatever. So we started kind of neutralizing the environment for one thing. And then looking at the Montessori classroom, you know, there's a language area, math area, practical life, a writing area. We literally at the, you know, the first 10 years, the children were in a Montessori classroom in the morning and then they were um, in our lower level, which was art, music and drama in the afternoon. So that's kind of why we were, went that direction. So we knew right away, if we were gonna document what was going on, we had two different environments. And we thought, okay, how do we, Amelia was pushing us to have the school be personally reflective of the children who were there. And a, and a big, huge change, which was the children would, we would have, they would be with their team of teachers all day long and wouldn't have a split schedule. So that was, that was a huge, you know, because our teachers were like, there's certain challenging children that they were like happy to say goodbye at noon. And I have made the mistake of saying that to Amelia. I said, well, you know, that means the children are going to be with us all, you know, in one classroom. When we're kind of tired of certain children, it's nice to have a break. And she said, oh, really, what do the children do when they're tired of you? I mean, <laughs> And I thought, this is amazing. Oh, I am not going to win with this woman because, I mean, she'll say things like that, that we never forgot. I certainly never forgot. That was a big switch. And then we started adding the building area and then adding the dramatic play and housekeeping area. So in a traditional Montessori program, you know, you don't have those areas. I mean, practical but then we started seeing similarities with practical life materials work well in terms of um, you know, play, a dramatic play and housekeeping and that kind of thing. So uh, this was happening, Beth, I'm thinking about the, the climate of children working more independently or, you know, versus this, when you go into a dramatic play, when you go into a construction area, building area, there's so much collaboration. How was that shift for you all? It was rocky because when we started working with the Reggio philosophies, I think we had seven Montessori teachers who resigned. So they were like, okay, I'm not doing this because, you know, I think you people are basically crazy. And I mean, they were very firmly yeah. you know, immersed in the richness of Montessori and comfortable with the approach. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was rocky. And then when we started working with it, it got even more unbalanced because then children were bringing sensorial materials into the, into the building area. Montessori designed them to be, to explore size and dimension. And yeah. so that was like, well, then we were like, okay, this is okay. We thought, okay, this is okay. <laughs> then, then we were like, ah, no, this is not okay. Because, you know, to me, there's a basic, uh, there's a basic respect for Montessori materials and also helping children learn how to use sequential ordered materials. So it supports their cognitive thinking. So then we thought, okay, we're not 
we're going to have a building area, but it's not going to be mixed in with sensorial. So we wanted to maintain the respect for Montessori materials. So even practical life is, uh, is its own area. And because um, they were also dragging the pictures into the house game, we thought, okay, this is, this is, okay, this is clearly not working. We have 45 teachers, men and women. And we have, I think at this point, I think we have maybe 12 who are Montessori teachers. So it's, so we also have many teachers from many backgrounds, philosophy, you know, psychology, sociology, and various degrees of early childhood education. Um, the art area was always, to me, a huge area that we had. And that was, that's not necessarily true in a lot of Montessori schools or they have particular trays with very distinct ways of exploring watercolor or clay, or I'm not even sure about clay. So the art area was easy too. But then, and then there's the writing area and then we mailboxes and messages, which are a real big part of the regional philosophy, developing relationships, making presents for each other. I think we, we were making huge swings in the beginning. Uh, and I'm talking 1994 and 96, 98. So we would like immerse ourselves in Reggio for like a year. And then we were like, okay, now this is out of balance. So then we would like swing back into Montessori, train some Montessori teachers. We made these huge swings and then the swings got not quite as wide, really like think if you think of a pendulum. I think now after 27, in our, we're in our 27th year of collaborating with Amelia. We've sent 50 teachers to study tours, um, attended Reggio conferences. We just sent six of our teachers to a Montessori conference. That was the first time we've done that because we wanted to really keep our, you know, connection to that, the richness of that philosophy. So I think the swings now are like more like they're kind of, uh, there's several swings going on all the time, but are, the swings are maybe, well, let's look at this for a week or so. Well, let's evaluate that for maybe three weeks. Well, let's, you know, so the swings are, are of the pendulum are much less. All of that sounds so very much like coming from the Reggio approach, this idea of the educators always being in research and, and thinking about and reflecting on the practice and, and the day-to-day. -day. And I have to say also that I think you were so brave that you were willing to lose teachers, which is such a scary prospect. Yes. And because you really believed in, in moving forward, even into something that you weren't sure what you were moving towards. No, exactly. And I think at, even after we came back from the conference, when we met Amelia in Washington, we met with our parents to say, look at, we're thinking of kind of com combining or exploring this other philosophy. And I can remember Choi Lo stood up, one of our parents, and he said, Beth, we trust all of these, all of you as teachers. And he said, we don't, we don't care if this is a Buddhist school. If you, if you think that Buddha's, you know, then go for it. Let's explore it together. We had parents who were very much now, of course, as our 
new parents come in because we have 36 babies. We have three different infant rooms. So we have families now that enter our school where it's totally, the walls are neutral. It's filled with documentation, not decoration. They're like, oh yeah, this, I mean, our website full explores both philosophies and they're like, okay, great. This looks like something that would be really, really uh, important for our children. It's been, a, it continues to be a long journey yeah. because of course we're with COVID and the, you know, mass resignations and the labor market and whatever, it's been a huge challenge for us to keep teachers offer professional development opportunities. There's been ongoing, you know, always challenges. As you eventually brought some of the research pieces, the project work kinds of, of pieces to the school, what did that look like? And, and did it have sort of a uniqueness to it with that foundation in a, in a Montessori approach? So we finally, after years, I do mean years, like a, we thought, okay, what does this mean for, to follow children's thinking and child, research? And I think that, I think our, our biggest shift was collaboration. And this happened, Sonia Shapta, who worked with Jen and Amelia in, the, in Washington, D.C. at the school. We invited her for a conference for our teachers and other educators. And I, as she was, I was driving to the airport and I said, okay, Sonia, you've been with us for three or four days. What, what do you see that, that the school needs? And she said, a systemic change. Wow. Said, oh, oh, just that. <laughs> and she said, she said, no, Beth, she said, you're driving your teachers crazy because they're so, you're, they're so motivated and exciting, excited about the Reggio approach but you're not giving them any time to collaborate together about it. Planning time was outside of the workday. We always paid teachers if they wanted to come in and work in their classroom or that kind of thing. But she said, I think you need to look at your day and, and see how your teachers can collaborate together. So we made a big step, and this was in 2007, to hire an additional three teachers that we call the collaboration team. And they go into each classroom. Uh, we have nine classrooms. So they go into each classroom every week, either morning or afternoon. And they replace the three teachers in the classroom. So those three teachers can then leave the children, go to a quiet area and really talk about their day and collaborate together. And then we got to the point where we couldn't function without it. I can remember teachers at the time when we offered them the planning time within their workday, they literally said this, it's okay. I don't know what we talk about. I mean, <laughs> so, and it's like, because they kind of just planned their, they just worked independently <laughs> or they kind of talked on the fly, but they didn't really sit down and really evaluate and and talk about what they're observing in the in the work of the children. So I think that was a huge change. And now, of course, if we, because seven teachers called in or have COVID or something, and we have to cancel the meetings that day, 
the teachers are really, they're like, wait, you know, they're really upset because they really depend on this. And I think collaboration, it's huge for educators. This is my biggest struggle. When I have to tell you a quick story, when I was 11, uh, when there was 13 girls in the neighborhood and we ran as a, you know, we played together all the time. And so we formed a club, the page means it's a, you know, it's the first letter of every girl's name or whatever. We made it into this word. And I was the president, the secretary and the treasurer all five years and there was no elections. I, so my basic tendency is a benign dictator. And uh, so this has been a huge struggle for me to really support the school as a collaborative group of teachers. It sounds like you as a leader really had to, to make some big shifts. And I would say people could really learn from you that staying static in the way you are doesn't move a school along and no. or any organization really no no seriously it doesn't when I purchased the school I mean I the first thing I did was ask four of the other teachers to to work with me I knew right away because I was terrified with this new venture that you can't do it yourself the directors who hold all the control burn out very quickly or they stay in their schools and it's not a happy place for anybody. And now, but every single day there that shows to me, there's a richness, it, 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 all the, even all the new teachers, their, their energy, their perspective, their ideas are some of the, the best ones. So it's not like they come in and they don't, they immediately start collaborating. They hopefully everybody has a voice. I think that's the strong lesson of the Reggio approach for children and for adults. You mentioned that you have three infant classes, and I'm always intrigued by this, this idea of having a Reggio-inspired infant classroom, because so many people that teach the youngest children are pretty certain that it can't be done with a, with a, through a Reggio-inspired oh, lens. Interesting. So, yeah, I hear that a lot. And so help me convince them and, and share maybe what does it look like in an infant classroom that is Reggio inspired? We, we looked at the materials first and also the overstimulation of the environment. So we neutralized it. We, re, we moved all the plastic, brightly colored um you know kind of typical you know what you know materials that can be used only in one way instead of complex materials materials by that's a you know they're yes they're nonverbal but let me tell you they they communicate exactly what they want and need so they have very loud ways of <laughs> of telling you when they're happy and when they're not or when they want something or they don't want something so I think we've learned to, to really be aware of, of young baby, infants, babies, and their nonverbal communication. But I think also in preparing the environment, but also introducing expressive languages. So introducing clay, introducing 
um, light, introducing shadow, introducing metal materials, um, natural materials, food tasting. So all the different languages. I mean, that to me is a very, very exciting place to introduce the expressive languages for children. I mean, you're not gonna do a research project, but the teachers do research projects on how do, chill, how do babies deal with conflict? How do babies introduce, how do babies express themselves emotionally? So there's a lot of many stories. How do they move? How do they interact? How are they, how do they form friendships? So, you know, those are the research projects, but the, like the youngest babies are introducing, are exploring paper, aluminum foil and cellophane paper and uh, bubble wrap. Obviously you don't give it to them, you know, unsupervised. What are the sounds of paper? You can, you can start by changing the environment and choosing, you know, they have wood materials, natural materials in the classroom. And then basically the teachers are observers and reflectors on what happens in the classroom. So the teachers become, and also toddler rooms also, you know, cause they're more nonverbal, but not necessarily. Um, the teachers then become, are always observers of children and reflecting. And then what can they do to enrich the baby's experiences. I, one of our infant teachers and she had taught here for years, um, she's now deceased. She was a, Lila, she was a wonderful. She said, the thing I've learned being with infants is how early they form friendships with each other. That to me was like, and how much they're, how, how young it, they are when they, you know, they begin, they're connected to other people. And, and oh, I just see. the belief that they are involved in dialogue right from the beginning is a big yes. shift for people. And how do we pay attention to that? Right. Beth, as you were alluding to in this time that it has been challenging for, for so many schools, directors, t- educators all over the world, teachers now, teachers always really have been looking for inspiration They've been looking for hope, optimism. Could you share something with us that maybe is what motivates you? Something that that keeps you going every day to this this sacred work that we do. The thing that keeps me going is going into school because the, you know, the children, they're just, they're just incredible. How can you not be hopeful if you work with children? I mean, really. They amaze us every day, don't they? They do. And to me, the children, they have the strongest voice, really. It sounds really trite, but they they do. And new teachers being hired um, is exciting to me and interesting. And there's, I just think there's so many things in front of us that we need to pay attention to that will really make us happy. Wow, such an example you have set for all of us and in really not staying still, always looking forward and and thinking forward, reflecting, trying to figure out where you want to be with all of this and who you are. I'm really just so thankful that you that you were with us today. I'm going to take with me this this idea of paradox 
and that and look for it in all the ways that exists <laughs> around us, I would say. I'm, I'm just really amazed by your bravery, how you just kept pushing forward. Change is not easy for anyone. Oh, and, no, no, exactly. To make yeah. these transitions and to grab on to the mentors along the way is, is such a great example for all of us. It is not been easy, but I think that there was always a reason to take the next step, you know, but we were paralyzed, many times paralyzed and unable to make decisions and move. And then we thought, okay, let's just pick, just pick one and just do the next, just one more step, just one more step. Thank you so much, Beth. You're welcome. Thank you. If you would like to know more about my wonderful guests or the Reggio approach, please go to my website at sandylanesconsulting.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.